and welcome to Sound Health Options. We're glad you could be with us. Richard is in the internet no zone, so (laughs) he has no internet. He's coming to us uh, from his phone or trying to, and all the circuits are busy on Blog Talk Radio. We don't know what is going on there. Even our guest is coming to us um, from an unusual way that we usually connect. So we're happy that any of you can get here. And I don't think there's any alternative numbers uh, for our show. We have a tremendous guest today, Dr. Sandra Barrett. She's a most fascinating person with a fascinating new book, an enlightening new book. It's called Secrets of Yourselves, and it's incredibly unusual. I was hooked from the forward on. It by itself is profound, and I'll tell you what a very rare encounter for me reading her forward in her book. So we'll be with her in a few minutes just after a few announcements for any of you that looked at or received our announcement about her appearance in the show there is some artwork there on the very front page and it looks like sort of the colors of gasoline on in sunshine but it's really a picture of ourselves and it looks like a, a crocheted kind of doily thing. I'm going to order the metal reproduction of this right after the show, but her artwork is just fascinating. If go to her site, uh, Sandra, S-O-N-D-R-A, Barrett.com. Um, there's no video today, uh, although we continue to do videos with our live demonstrations of vocal profiling on Tuesdays. So we'll be talking more about um, those shows on Sound Health Options, or you can go look at it on our site, uh, soundhealthoptions.radio. Richard, you're here. Are you going to join us in on the show? I'll try as I can. (laughs) So far, I'm I'm hooked in by uh, a combination of orange juice cans and coat hangers, roughly speaking, compared to normal. So... I'll do what I can. But I'm de- I definitely have questions. We could spend I could spend hours talking with Sandra. So I've got questions. Okay, I've got a few announcements, and then we'll go. We're being sponsored today by the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology and Sound Health, one of the largest, oldest institution research institutions dealing with vocal profiling. We started this work in the 70s, officially, published our first papers in the 80, early 80s, and we opened our doors to the public in 91. We are 27 years old. That's awesome. Um, what we have been able to show here over these years is that people who have like symptoms have like vocal anomalies, like sour notes in a song. So after we published our work um, that we did with the Army, MIT, took up what we're doing, and now we're finding out that the Mayo Clinic is also using the tenets of our work with the ideas of math as medicine, sound as medicine, resonance as medicine, frequency as medicine. We are very thankful that these people are taking up our work and proving its worth and proving um, proof of concept, I guess people call it. I have an update on Jeline, our MS patient, that you guys have asked about. She's the one that lost her vision in her right eye from MS. Her vision and her color vision is totally re- repaired. It's, uh, she doesn't have any problems with it anymore. Her doctor is absolutely amazed. So if there's more of you out there who are willing to give us vocal prints, If you have eye problems with MS, you can go to our soundhealthportal.com, portal as a window in a ship, and leave us your vocal print so we can add you to our databases. And Just tell them this is for the research on MS so we know what pot to put you in because we have been collecting a lot of data. We've just broken the frequency codes for histamine sores, and I can't even find that on the Internet. But people have breakouts in their hair and on their skin, 
and it it's like a little liquid thing, and then it turns into a sore that doesn't heal very well. And we've had, uh, I think, 12 vocal prints turned in, and we broke the code. So if you have that issue, we're going to be putting that up on the portal uh, for everybody to do their vocal prints. Um, we are doing our class theme for March is fibromyalgia. So those of you who want to bring this information to your community, we have free classes and free software for you, uh, up to and including the professional version, which includes all of your equipment. And you can take it online with tutorials self-taught, or you can take it in class with hands-on. So there are three, I think, projects going on with the portal. The histamine project was one. Tinnitus is the next one that we're doing. So we, we've got a lot of data on that. We want more. We don't have enough to make some definitive decisions. So if you want to go to the soundhealthportal.com, go to the campaigns and turn in a vocal print and say, this is for Sherry's project on tinnitus. The other one is PREVAC, and that stands for Pre-Vaccination Risk Factors. So we're going to be doing that project, and we're hoping to reach out to the community for anyone that is involved with a group or they have children who have vaccination damage or what they consider vaccination damage. If you will help us bring the data together and the vocal prints together, even a group, that would be wonderful we will give you the vaccination software so that you can use it in your community. I think that is all of the announcements, unless you have any, Richard. No. <laughs> I had several, but I can't get to them. <laughs> I just realized, I yes, but I can't get there, so you no, I do not. You can't get on your computer. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. A little story I want to tell before we introduce um, Dr. Barrett. In the foreword and throughout her book, and this was such a profound idea to me, she so, says that every atom and the cells that make up our body are billions of years old. I bet they're going to prove cells have memory. And she talks about different kinds of energy. And while I was reading her book, and I do this with really open, integral people's writings, because you can sort of read through the line as the words fall together. And so she's talking about energy and Tai Chi, and all of a sudden I've got a split brain, and part of me is over here doing Tai Chi. Very clearly I can see that happening. I can feel my body and my cells responding. But at the same time, I'm reading her book. That, that is a, a fascinating, strange encounter. Richard, I, don't, I sent you the, uh, one of the copies. Oh, you can't get to it because your computer's down. Um, so if anybody else has an experience while they're reading her book, that would be absolutely incredible to hear about. The book is Secret of Your Cells by Sandra, S-O-N-D-R-A, Barrett, Ph.D. Uh, she earned her degree in biochemistry from the University of Illinois Medical School, followed by postdoctoral training in immunology at the University of California Medical School, where she also researched childhood cancers as a faculty member. She delivers programs bridging the science, art, and practice of Body Mind Medicine and is the author of Wine's Hidden Beauty. One of the things that comes at you with this book is if you married science and spirit, this is their child. <laughs> My first question, welcome Dr. Barrett. My first question is with all that you do, how did you ever find time to write a book? <laughs> well, first of all, Sherry, I want to thank you. Because I've been aware of your work for years, and I'm amazed at all the research you're doing on it. So, hooray for you! Well, thank you. I love uh, your. Whoops, hello. 
Hello? Oh. Can you hear me? Yeah, the phone is kind of beeping or doing weird and odd things. Well, my question is, where did you ever find time to write this wonderful book? Well, I had wanted to write the book from around the year 2000 and started it. No publisher wanted it. So I gave up the idea of writing Secret Squad, calling it Cells in the Sacred of Time. I gave up the idea, decided to write this wine book because I told everybody I was going to write a wine book. Um, and I was giving a workshop at Noetic Sciences uh, in 2000 nine or ten, and the acquisition editor of uh, Sounds True contacted me the next day and said, and I've been right, did I have a book? And I said, well, I've got a couple of chapters because I was using what I was writing when I taught. And uh, so she loved my the idea and gave me nine months you know, to birth the book. And... Uh, the rest is history. I mean, it's like birthing it. It was definitely birthing a child. It feels like my. It is my life's work of, of integrating uh, body, mind, science, and spirituality. When along with image images, there's some images in there as well. When you talk about the cells, can you explain your ideas of? what a cell is, where it started, and the bigger question, how the cells communicate. Well, how cells started is still a puzzle for science. I mean, cells are the smallest living entity of life, of human life anyway. Um, and they started billions of years ago, and you know, if you've read the book, you see I talk about the creation story being how the you know the molecule. What I'm what I'm learning the more I teach, people don't have a concept of cells or molecules or atoms. So molecules are made of atoms, and cells are made of molecules. So way back when, somewhere, uh, now they're talking about volcanic ponds or volcanic pools. The molecules came together and formed the container for life. Uh, it's, I always like to liken it to salad oil, you know, salad dressing. If you mix olive oil and vinegar together and shake it, you get oil droplets on the top, and essentially that's what a cell is. It's oil, fat surrounding the more watery contents of the cell. And uh, how did it come about? Well, in the beginning was the sound. <laughs> in the beginning. I have no real idea. Well, I have lots of ideas. No proofs. All I say is um, adapting some of the work that came from David Deemer, who's a scientist, an astrobiologist at UC Santa Cruz, that the DNA needed a place. In order for there to be any kind of life, we needed a container for life, and that's the cell, formed by these fat molecules on the outside. Um, and that container also has to contain the divine energy. I mean, we have scientists try to create life in the lab. They never can do it, even with all the molecules that they know they need, even with trying to shoot a lot of energy and, you know, like electricity into the bath that they've created, they can't get life. And I'm a believer that we need that divine spark uh, that comes from that comes from some place, uh, God, Allah, wherever we want to name it, um, that we don't get life until we've got that mixed with our, mo our molecules containing that. Uh, does that make sense? It does. Um, Richard, you said you had a follow-up question? I do. How did you, well, I have a couple of questions tied together. How did you go from researching leukemia cells to being a wine whisperer? <laughs> I 
I mean, that's such a, it's an amazing scale. As I looked at your book and I watched some of your information on YouTube, A, uh, I, I, this is a comment, you talk like a mycologist, but we'll get back to that. I want to go back to the how did you go from researching leukemia cells to being a wine whisperer, because that's quite a jump.
and what you would expect and beyond that lead to our language. Uh, well, I think that I was—I saw a short video on YouTube where you were showing uh, the shape, the molecular structure of sweet, bitter, um, something else. Tart? That's not quite right. I can't remember the other word. But you, you were showing the actual structures of the, the particulate that made up or the molec molecular thing and the form of it that was that taste. <laughs> and it was shocking uh, that bitter looked so bitter. <laughs> I've never, that's not a word, I was a chef for 20 years. So it blew my mind. Also, I'm an herbalist. So when I think about flavors, now to add the context of your, like, oh, that's what bitter looks like. Oh, my God, I've never been able to say that. That, that's amazing to see that, and of course it's going to have that effect on the palate, because look at it. It's gnarly looking, whereas sweet or, or, you know, the various shapes are amazing. How did you, I don't know, stumble is not it. Um, how did you start photographing these things? How did you start, was it an aha moment? You spilled some wine in the lab on a slide and looked at it? I mean, how did the art part of this? And how do you document this? How do you actually do this physically? Okay. <laughs> Let me see where I can answer that. So yeah. <clears throat> how I how I do it, I it's uh, what's called a polarizing light microscope. Uh, and a polarizing light microscope has prisms. And the prisms, so the colors I'm getting are through the prism. You know, if you dial a prism or you have it holding up a prism to the, uh, the sunlight, it breaks the, breaks the white light into all its colors, seven colors. And so the microscope has these prisms, and the material, if I'm photographing caffeine or if I'm photographing um, milk thistle, thistle, I will put drops on a microscope slide and let it dry let whatever liquid it's in evaporate. And so the shape of what I'm calling the congregations of molecules, the shape of that comes from how they come together. The colors I add on to the, to the picture. I, how I, I was making this art is what will give me the most dramatic picture of this? How will it stand out the most? Where do I get the most dimension? So I see that with um, oh, oh, almost everything I photograph. I can tell from the background color what, I w what color light I was shining on it, which is also a frequency. But then also the material on the slide, whether it's from caffeine or sugar or a wine, can also refract the light. And I mean, the photography really hooked me from the perspective of it sure beat looking at cancer cells all the time. <laughs> it, it, it was definitely a, a light show, and I, I was really very curious. I, I still am curious, although my microscope sits in the other room, and I'm not doing a whole lot of photography right now um, because it... it it's like traveling into inner space. It takes it takes me into another dimension, really. And uh, you know, when I've if you've seen some things on YouTube, I've done a number of tasting events for wineries, and I always show the main. You know, let's see what your intuition or what your inner knowledge is. And if I put sweet, sour, and bitter on the screen. 75% of the people know bitter. So it's, you know, it's um, proving to them some of their own intuition, what you would expect. It's like what you were saying. Oh, no wonder it looks that way because that's what it does on the palate. Um, it's, it's, it, to me, it was mind-blowing that I uncovered it. But, 
that seems to be what my path is, uncovering um, hidden signatures through the microscope and maybe other ways, too. I'm not sure. And uh, we have an audience question. This is a slight jump, but it's in the category. Have you photographed cells that had been perhaps, let's say, in a state of imbalance or in, because of your research in leukemia or cancer, have you photographed cells that have cancer and or some kind of state of imbalance that then have been prayed over? Have you done before and after photographs of that kind of No, work? No, that's an interesting study. That would be really interesting um, to see. What would, what would be the effect of praying over cells? When I think that's where the idea of praying over your food comes from, but I've heard people do these prayers, you know, may this food bless our body or whatever. But as I visualize my food as I'm eating it, I see the life force and the sparkles and everything in it, and then it becomes very compatible by my words or my thoughts about the food. I have done that so many times. Eat something I shouldn't and take a digestive enzyme eat something I shouldn't, but pray over it, and it seems to have the same kind of effect. I don't have any hard data, but I certainly depend on it when I'm out and I don't know what's in the food. Just a comment. Richard, I interrupted yeah. you. No, I mean, I think it's, that, it's, it's kind of like the placebo effect. It's like what's our attitude toward what we're bringing in? Mm -hmm. Is our attitude that this is going to be fine, um, or is... It's like for the past month, I've been off of bread and sweets, and I felt really good. And my family, my grandsons and daughter came into town this past week, and I've been eating bread every day. I didn't pray over it. I probably should have. And I'm seeing there's a real difference in how I feel and what's happening in my nose and my voice and a lot of things that I learned from cleaning it out that... Bread is probably not my friend. I don't know if it would be my friend if I prayed for it, but uh, and I don't think it was just my attitude about it. Well, it's we've had shows with other doctors about the lectins and things that are in grains <laughs> and how humans aren't compatible with it because they are in such a dis... Um, uh, dis disease, I guess, this dash ease about all of it. Well, and I think I, I would toss into that mix also that having, uh, we've interviewed Stephanie Seneff a number of times, and <clears throat> she's done an amazing amount of research on not only statins, but also glyphosate. And I think part of the tricky arena about bread is that it's so exposed to glyphosate because of the gluten is sprayed or it's a non you know if it's a gmo crop or yeah um genetically altered you know they spray the crop right before it gets harvested so it gets complicated and i say that from my own experience you know that i have some people uh a bakery up in petaluma i live in northern california and there's a bakery in petaluma where they make baguettes out of a grain that's grown for them by somebody further up in Northern California that's an older grain, non-hybridized, non-GMO. And I can eat that. So you're about, Go ahead. I was going to say, you're talking about Revolution Bakery. No, I'm talking about Della Fattoria. Okay, that's the bread I get. Okay, oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> no, Revolution's good, too. Uh, Della Fattoria. I just know the people at Della Fattoria. And they get, a, they get this bread that they make out of a non- GMO, non-sprayed grain, I can eat that baguette, no problem whatsoever. If I go out and have just all of the powdered bread, I can get bloody and weird. So I think it gets a tricky thing when we talk about gluten as an issue, because it is an issue, um, but uh, some of the mix can be that glyphosate influence, you know, how it alters the cells and, you know, what it does. and. And in your work, as you look at things, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about wine for a minute. So can you see the difference between a, a, I guess we'll call it a damaged or an altered cell 
in a wine? Can you predict how a... I was going to ask if you can predict how a wine can taste, but that's not really your bailiwick, is it? I mean, are you really looking for taste? You're really looking for structure and then relating it to taste? I was um, looking for taste when I started this because of the winemaker. Yeah, that first wine... This is 1982, 84 that I started doing that. Um, because the winemaker said it looked like a taste. And so I figured that's what I was looking at for a lot of years. In fact, I have a huge print on my wall of his favorite wine, which was my least favorite kind of wine. It's an angular, it's sharp. And so just working with a few wines, it, it seemed like they look like they taste. But taste is so biological, psychological, subjective that I, after photographing thousands of wines, I knew that's not what I'm photographing. I'm looking at more of the expression of the wine. Um, although when I've done some events, sometimes I'll do an event with a winery that I photograph their wines and then we do uh, a tasting. And can people pick out the photograph of their wine? You know, the picture of, can you pick which picture you're tasting? And it's always curious to me that maybe half the group can do that. And if you're in um, a group of professionals, uh, I did a, a project with the Institute of Masters of Wine who are like these serious Yikes. wine gurus. And they, you know, the president of the organization picked out the wines that I would photograph, and 90% of them could get which picture matched which wine. Um, so there is a quality, but um, you can't always, I can't, when I taste a wine, I can't predict what it's going to look like. Either I like it or I don't. I mean, so much of the taste of wine is smell. And I'm not photographing smell. <laughs> um, <laughs> although I tried to do that a lot of years ago, too. So as the... Uh, as the grapes are growing, it's the environment, the sun, the fertilizer, the soil that creates the taste of it. Has anybody thought about affecting grapes with sound in the vineyard? Because we have found a sound that after, by really cheap wine, after the wine is made, we can subject it to this sound and it will taste much less bitter. So you talk in your, your book about cymatics and how they take sand and put it on a diaphragm and subject it to a frequency like a string bow, and it, creates, right. and it creates shape. So as sound creates shape, I'm thinking that we could affect wine with, by playing it music, which is kind of incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a, a winemaker uh, here up, well, up in Napa Valley who his claim to fame, one of his claims to fame is that he plays certain music while you're tasting the wine, not in the vineyard, so if you're you know, in his office or at an event. And he plays different music, like different rock and roll, different classical, that will change how you perceive, how you taste the wine, which I thought was going to be a bunch of, you know, hooey, but I experienced that while that music does make this wine taste sharper and a different piece of music made it taste um, softer. So, I mean... Could you talk... I don't, you know, that, say that again? I was going to ask the question... And with that, can you explain how resonance and sound and frequency influence shape, influence space, influence taste? Do you have a theory? Um, well, you're more the expert on that. My theory is, as you know, when I describe the cell, our cells are string instruments. So besides having this 
a very fluid membrane on the outside of the cell, the inside of the cell where we once called it, you know, cytoplasm or protoplasm, we saw it as more like jello. The inside of the cell really is filled with a matrix of something called the cytoskeleton. And the cytoskeleton are made up of microtubules, filaments, and strings, different widths of tubes, basically. And when I first learned about that, that's 20 years ago, I didn't learn about it when I was studying science. When I first learned about it, there was that aha moment that, oh, we have a structure in our cells that can now really respond to sound or music or color. It can respond to vibration. Because we used to think, well, people still are in that mindset that it's only the brain that responds to sound and music. Actually, no, every cell can. And so, you know, I call ourselves string instruments. And if we're string instruments, then all of us is in vibration or in resonance with what we're hearing, um, what we're seeing. I, I mean, I, I, my belief is sound is the medicine of the future. Yes. Because we, we are resonant beings. And anybody who's an expert in sound, like you are, Shari, is... You know, you're way ahead of you're way ahead of the curve, because this is where real healing can come into the picture. We're, because you're bringing the cells into an alignment. We're we're seeing that every day, which brings a question up: How do we change the direction, the shape, the health of our cells? Uh, well. We know a lot of the practices. I mean, a lot of it is, is sound and music and chanting and movement. Movement is key to, to changing um, the shape of our cells. You know, if we're stressed and contracted, that's giving a signal inside the cell to perhaps create more damaged cells. When we relax and release that tension through breathing, through humming, through Tai Chi or Qigong, that's allowing the cells to come to their own equanimity, if you will, their own balance. I don't know if that's an answer to the question at the start. <laughs> what do you think? Well, you talk a lot about meditation, and there was one section in your book, I think it was page 39, when I've, I've been pondering this question about how the universe gives us direction and information. And our landlord is just trying to run us out of this building and uh, with just making noise so we can't work. And I've been pondering that question for two weeks, and I don't know what sentence it was, but all of a sudden two ideas came to me, and I felt my whole body relax. It was it just was incredible. My whole outlook changed. And you were talking about our feelings and perceptions and how we we think about things. So this, thank you for that. I think that's awesome. There's a lot of other audience questions. Um, one of them is about uh, food. How does food affect us? Richard, I think you took that question. You want to go ahead and ask it? Yeah. How does... So everything we're talking about, you're talking about the molecular structure of these things and how it, how the wine people are seeing it, how, how they can pick it out by the taste. They look at it and they know what bitter is. They know what sweet is. They know how the finish of the wine would be. Have you looked at how the cells are affected with eating clean food, meaning an organic diet? And I don't mean you have to be a vegetarian. I just mean eating, you know, like somebody who lives on a farm and grows their own food and eats non-commercially produced clean food. Have you ever looked at cells as a result of that? Mm, no. Um, I, what would I say around that? When, you know, it, it's from a personal experience. When we eat cleanly, we feel differently and we're shocked by, my own experience, we're shocked by any food that's not clean, if you will. 
you know, you're cleansing and you're eating a more organic diet. You know, I haven't looked at the cells, but it's an overall experience. And then I go and, well, I can no longer go out and buy McDonald's. But if I did, um, or if I buy some kind of packaged food, I will feel differently. And I know my cells, I'm, I'm, I know my cells have responded. And the, the honest answer to that is I'm no longer looking at cells um, not because I'm not fascinated by them, but I feel my value right now in the time of my life is more as a teacher and to explore with people what they can learn and what they can know that makes their life better or makes their health better. And I'm of the mindset now, We, I don't need the proof of the what the cells look like. Other people may. Um, it, you know, as you're learning in science, the scientists always want proofs before they'll believe anything. Um, and since I'm no longer looking at proofs, it would be really hard to do those kind of experiments that you're asking, Richard. Right. Because you, because you'd be looking at well, the easiest cells to get a hold of are the cells in the blood. So. You, I know there was work by a uh, Canadian, Gaston Hassan, what was his last name, who looked at, in, in live uh, dark field micro microscopy, looked at cells and looked at their bits and pieces and claimed that you could tell whether the, the person was going to go have cancer by what he was seeing in the dark field. Um, I was always, I'm, I'm, although I've done a lot of weird things, I'm still a skeptic of um, what we can see under the microscope because it's so filled with potential of artifacts and what you're interpreting. It's like going out into a landscape. What, what will you photograph? What will you use to tell your story? Yes. I don't know if that's... Well, back to, back to the food thought, and then I'll get off that. Um, <clears throat> is that it seems that if we believe that if we're doing, or if we see results from doing, let's say, Qigong, or some sort of meditative practice, or perhaps perhaps even the Alan Watts practice, which I'll ask about, um, that it makes sense that if what we consume, if we're doing Qigong to balance our energies and to have contact with the earth and to regain our chi and you know, our centers and... So it seems that if we throw, it goes back to computer coding, garbage in, garbage out, at least in my mind. So if you put in stuff in your body, like you said, I can't imagine going out and have a McDonald's, but I bet if I had a McDonald's and then a week later you looked at my cells, they'd be all like, what's that? <laughs> exactly. They'd be really confused, like, what did you do? You know, if our cells could talk, if we could actually listen to ourselves, we'd be much better off. If our cells could actually just, like, all gather together and shout occasionally, like, no, you know, we'd be much better off. So that leads to talking about those things, like, as you say, you're, you're moving a direction where you want to get people more in touch and learn that they can shift their beingness. And one of those things that you did, what I was referring to with Alan Watts, you talked about his ha practice. Can you talk about that for a minute and that leads into more other kinds of practices? The ha practice? The ha ha um, practice. Ha. I mean, you know, it's, I like to teach people quick fixes. I give them information, but I also, what do you need in the moment that may shift your consciousness? And there's an old meditation from Alan Watts that it's, it's fun to do in a group where you say, ha. And that's like using a, a, a Hindu sound almost. And then you go, ha, ha. Um, and within a minute or two, you've got the whole group laughing. And laughter is an aerobic sport, if you will. It really brings oxygen to ourselves, so it's healthy. And the more ways we can um, bring relaxation and oxygen to ourselves, the healthier we can be. And I'll put in a plug for um, Jonathan Goldman's humming effect, 
because that's what I'm I was for decades I was teaching about the power of mm, sound that came from um, Arlen Malberg talked about he was a psych- he is a psychologist in Wisconsin, and he talked about some of his clients not being able to access their sense of self. They were lost, and what helped them access their sense of self was like 15 minutes of imagining the sound M, and then doing it for 15 or 20 minutes. And he saw that over a couple of months, some of his clients really regained their sense of purpose. They were able to make decisions that they couldn't before. And so I would, te- I have been teaching that much more than the ha uh, meditation. I've been teaching that for years and it's in the book. And then when Jonathan's book came out in the fall on the humming effect, I began really teaching what he reports on the physiologic changes that happen with doing the hum, a couple minutes of hum. And I just did my first online course on less stress, and that was the strategy everybody has been using that's making a difference in their well-being within a minute. Uh, And so that's very shocking. It's both shocking and gratifying to me that once people learned about not just the psychology, which is what I was talking about, but the, the reduced stress hormones, the increased um, endorphins, the pleasure molecules, etc. Once people learned that there was measurable physiologic changes that went with doing that sound, um, it's made a significant difference in people's lives. And that's, you know, that brings us to the, 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 the power of, I think, resonance and sound for healing long-winded answer to you. It's a ha-ha-ha. I have two questions. Well, one's from me and one's from the audience. And it's kind of a change in direction, but it's important for me. You say in your book that one of your epiphany moments was when the sister of a little boy who had leukemia was going to die, and she knew it, and she asked you where her brother was going to go when he died. How? What? What did you say to her? I I really didn't. And she also asked, "What's it going to hurt?" And I don't know that I knew what to answer her. One, they were a Catholic family, um, and that's not my background. And my background, what I I might have said, he's going to be with God. I don't even remember what I answered. And one of the reasons I was doing all that photography decades ago was I wondered, although I never said it when I would do the slideshows, I was interpreting, oh, this is, this is where we go when our spirit leaves the body, the molecules, the beauty of these molecules, this is where we go. And I don't know if I said that to her. I mean, this is 40 years ago. Um, I I was struck that she asked me that because we had never had those conversations before. And I was struck that his family, I had never met his mother and stepfather, his grandmother, they were all would bring him to the clinic and she didn't speak a word of English. They were from uh, El Salvador. And so I was really surprised that they wanted me in the room when Alvaro uh, was dying. Uh, and I had never been in that experience before. And what I did see was it felt like the light left him when he died. You could tell one moment there's light in him, uh, and the next it's not. And you, you explain in your book that we really don't know where that spark comes from. Uh, here's the question, uh, and there's now two of them. Our audience are fat cells the same as brain cells, and are we made of the same cells as rocks? <laughs> great questions, great questions. So, we have 200 different kinds of cells in our body, they're not the same, they, they may all have the same genes, 
but it's like the going out into the neighborhood. They all have different purposes. The, the brain cells, the neurons in the brain, have a very different purpose than the red blood cells. So they look different and they act differently. But key to that, understanding that, our cells have the ability to turn off gene genetic expression if they don't need it. So a heart cell doesn't need the same expression, the same genes that the skin cell will need. So built into the wisdom of ourselves is knowing which genes to turn off and which ones to use. So, so the interesting, the other day, friends were asking me about fat cells, so I have to learn more about them. I don't know much about them. But they're not... They, they have the same genetic structure. They may have much of the same architectural or anatomical structure, but they do different, they have different jobs. They're, they're the policemen, the immune cells, you know, that have to patrol the body. So they've taken on different functions. Rocks don't have cells. Rocks are all, well, not of their own. They may be bacteria or fungus on the outside, but rocks are made up of purely of molecules, of minerals. So it gets into the, what what are we made out, out of? Uh, if you ask me about wood, wood would have cells, but not rocks. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, because the tree is a growing thing, which leads us to yeah. another question that just came in. Do cells reproduce... And how and do cells have memory? There's more coming in. And do we influence that memory? Um, we want to leave some time at the end for you to tell people about your um, current projects and how they can get in touch with you and uh, get in touch with your art. Um, so I think we have eight minutes left, uh, and we can go a little longer if we need. But this question, do cells reproduce? And do they do that from our influence? I just find that a fascinating question. Great question. A great question. Yes, cells obviously are reproducing. Uh, we started way back in the beginning of each one of our lives. We started as one cell fertilized, that egg cell fertilized by sperm. And that one cell became two, became four, etc. So cells are able to reproduce they're able to recognize that there's a flaw and they can fix it some of them and they're also able to program cell death so part of the process is that uh, I talk a lot about this in the book around the cytoskeleton the tension the tension in the cell will influence whether it reproduces whether it matures or whether it programs its death also all normal cells have the ability to program death. So there's a natural cycle of reproduction, maturing, and then recycling. And, and death, the normal death in cells is a very gentle process. It's a really the recycling process. All the blebs and bits of the cell are reused. And those that can't be used are pooped or peed out. Um, whether cells, cells have, cells have memory, if I'm going to look at it from the bigger picture, cells have memory in the more holographic, holistic perspective, meaning it's hard to think of one cell having memory. Uh, sometimes I speculate and say the memory is held within the, the spiral of the DNA, you know, the space in that molecule. I don't really know where it's held. I know from experience and from some science that, for instance, if, if, if a child has been abused, um, they have that memory, and all you have to do is raise your hand to that child, and he or she will act as if they're afraid, they're afraid and they're going to be abused again. So somewhere in the whole um, congregation of cells in the body and the brain, 
is how that memory. I'm not, it, it's going to take some other kind of science to look at how an individual cell holds the memory. They're always in communication, so I think they're, they're holding our biology, our story together. I don't know if that's an answer or not, but it's uh, speculation. It's enough to get us started on thinking about it. Okay, good. Richard. <laughs> um, this is a much longer question. I think we have to have you back for uh, part two. Okay. How much smarter are we than mycelium? Really? I mean, I know they, I know they act out differently. They look differently. They demonstrate differently to us. They seem spookier than we do. But as I listen to you talk, and as I listen to some of your talks and read some of your book, there to me is just a, a kind of a running theme of mycelium are incredibly intelligent the way they communicate amongst themselves and they have networks and they communicate. They're like, no, don't go there. That's dangerous. We're dying over there. Go over here. I mean, I'm not saying, I don't know. Is that, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, after I wrote the book, I learned a lot more. I mean, I'm much more impressed with the intelligence of our cells, of any cells. It's, it's like the, the slime mold. They exist as, which is really a, a lowly cell, if you will, compared to us. And the slime mold goes its own oozy way until it runs out of food. And then it gathers up all the other little slime molds together. They make a much bigger organism so that they can travel and find food somewhere else. They could travel miles. And once they find food, then they separate into their own individual seldom. So it's pretty phenomenal, the intelligence. I mean, what do we call intelligence? Is intelligence the ability to solve problems, use information and solve problems so that my students, that slime mold, the simple bacteria, all are able to do that. So they may not be able to read a book or turn on the computer, but uh, they can thrive in their own lives, which is what it's all about, I think. And in Japan, they used the lowly slime mold in an experiment that they then followed to plan the subway paths in Japan. And they did it by building really? a matrix and seeing how the, how the slime mold got to the point they wanted them to go to the fastest. And then they used those patterns to plan their subways because wow. they knew that the slime mold would see the fastest way to get there. So they, it's an amazing... You know, they're, they're amazing beings, is how I would put it. So slime mold are better ecologists than we are. Boy, how. Look at that. Yes, they are. <laughs> we're messy. Um, okay, I can't believe it, uh, but we're to the part where I, how do people work with you? How do they get your online courses? Where can we have lunch? No, where can, <laughs> you know, where can no, we... Victoria. Find out more. Okay, find out more about what you're doing and what are you doing now. And your us. your artwork. Where no, not yeah, the artwork. How do they another. get your artwork? Yeah, this is more about my artwork than I've had it ever, probably in a conversation. It's um, impressive. It's incredibly impressive photographs. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I feel blessed to have been able to do that, or still able to do it. So what I'm doing now is. I'm focusing a lot on building online courses. Um, I did my first pilot stress less course uh, last month, well, in December, and I've started it again. This time I've added coaching to it because I, I missed the content and I also wanted to help ensure people's success so they can find out about the online, that online course uh, from my website. Sandra Barrett, B-A-R-R-E-T-T, dot com. They can find all kinds of stuff on my website. So that, and I'm focusing, I'm focusing on doing an online course based on the Secrets of Yourself book. It's been in uh, my 
dream dream category for a, a number of years, and hopefully I'll get to it. I aim for it for um, next next month. We'll we'll see. It's going to take a lot more juice than I probably have right now for it. I also do work, live workshops uh, and presentations. Uh, I what else? And I'm doing something very new for me. Something called astro elemental guidance and that's a whole we'll have to have a conversation on that that's using photographs of minerals related to astrology which helped me decipher another code relating to our elemental understanding of ourselves so i have been doing readings um using this new coding system if you will uh, which is a place of challenge for me because it also depends on me using more of my intuition and insight than my intellect. And it's been it's been fun doing it. I'm seeing people are, are learning from it. So I'm using more of that mentoring, coaching, working one-to-one with people. I used to do that in the past and then I put it aside, I guess, when I was writing a book and traveling around the country. And now I'm seeing how important it is to help support people. Um, in the first uh, stress class, it was more health professionals. And I hadn't seen that as a distinctive audience to, to direct my work with. And many of them were asking for mentoring. How would they work with a cancer patient? How would they work with someone who had autoimmune disease? So that's another doorway I'm opening to doing coaching and, and mentoring for professionals or people challenged by illness. What else? The, um, the art, you can find the art also a link on my website on the art page or on the shop page. Uh, I'm also learning how to do business. So it's, you can, if you get to my website, you'll see it's all over the place. You can have a bit of art, you can have a bit of wine, you can have a bit of shells, uh, you could discover the books, uh, and you can also chat with me if you get to Facebook. I have a face, uh, professional Facebook page that I like to, I really like to talk a lot and connect with people, so feel free to contact me either through my email, Sandra at sandrabauer.com, or on my Facebook page. Uh, I love to answer questions or to tell you where to go, to tell you where to go, what you might be able to do. And let's see, any other questions on that? If um, Northern California, if anybody's in Northern California, I'm doing a presentation for Noetic Sciences in Santa Rosa in uh, May. That's what I've got scheduled at this point. And uh, I, I thank Richard and Shari for making this a very stimulating and challenging discussion and more to be discovered, I'm sure. A busy life you lead. I recommend that everyone go to Amazon, or I don't know if it's on your site or not, but Amazon's really easy. Secrets of Your Cells by Sandra Barrett, Ph.D., Discovering Your Body's Inner Intelligence. I'm telling you people, there's more to this book than the words. The energy jumps out at you and becomes part of you. And for me, it led to other dimensions. So thank you for writing this book. Oh, you're welcome. I, I thank all the help I got. <laughs> visible and invisible. Thank you. That was great. We'll definitely have a part two. There's so many questions. Okay. <laughs> and I just clicked on the page of the art. Like, there's so many questions. But I know we have to stop. That was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm glad this worked out, even with all the technological glitches here. So we'll, we will clean up uh, some of the things that happened in the beginning, and you will be able to hear this on Blog Talk Radio in half an hour or so. Where else can they hear it, Richard? Um, in about 10 to 15 minutes after the show, after Sherry presses end show, it'll, you'll be able to find it uh, first at soundhealthoptions.com. Click on the radio tab, 
and then click on the Blog Talk Archive Player tab, and at the top of the list of the last five shows, this show will be there. And then in about an hour or so, you can go to iTunes or your podcast aggregator of choice. Could be Dogcatcher, a favorite, or Pocket Cats, or Stitcher, um, and search for Sherry Edwards and any of the other over 500 hours of shows will be there, and this show will be there. This is one of those that I'm going to have to re-listen to, that's for sure. And we will put the links on our radio page under Sound Health Options. Uh, what do we call this Sunday show? Just Sound Health Options? So we'll put the other links there of how you can get to her site, um, how you can get to some of the other recordings. Uh, and we, if you want to be on our mailing list uh, and know when... Dr. Barrett is coming back again. There is a place to fill out name and address and, and whatever. We'll put you on our mailing list, and we will certainly keep you in touch about our March class about fibromyalgia. We have um, been able to discover, decode, as Sandra says, the frequencies that are causing fibromyalgia, and we want to share that with uh, the community. We want to give you the classes and the software so that you can bring it to your community. So thank you for listening from the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology and Sound Health. And for Richard and I, um, we're glad you were here. Thank you.